Hey guys, Dylan Hartley here. Thanks for joining me on the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. The Red Roses have topped their pool and are on their way to a Six Nations final this weekend, so I'm zooming back into camp to see how things are getting on. I'm also getting to know two of the Northerners in the squad. This week I'm joined by back rower Harriet Miller-Mills and fullback Ali Kildun. All right. We're recording this week after your game against Italy, and you've had an off week, a down week, a recovery week. Uh, what have you been up to, Harriet? Uh, so we got back from Italy on Sunday, so we've been in isolation. So I did some gardening. Well, when I say gardening, de-weeding. And literally that that is it. That and watching Sherlock Holmes. So you, you've been at home isolating, but now you're back in camp, yeah? Yeah, yeah we're, not, we're not allowed out of quarantine until Saturday. So we're all still in the bubble. There's no one external who didn't go to Italy that have come into camp. So it's still the same bubble. Because we were meant to play Wales, but uh, that game's been called off. So now we've got a couple more days at home before hitting the, the next two and a half weeks of big games as well. But secretly, are you a little bit happy that the training friendly against Wales has been called off? Harriet, you're nodding yes. Yeah. I'm 30 tomorrow, so I'm like, yeah, sweet. I get a sign roll now. I'm playing for Wasps on Saturday, but I get Sunday off. Early happy birthday. What have you got planned? Nothing. <laughs> um, no, so I'm meeting up with my brother in London on Sunday. We're going to be tourists and just like get Boris bikes, go between Balbun, like Chinatown, get some donut time, coffee, don't go inside anywhere and don't go on any public transport. Ali, what about you? What, what's the plans for the weekend? I think I want a nice Sunday roast because I miss that in camp. We don't quite get a Sunday roast when we're in Italy. I can tell you that. <laughs> Honestly, some of, some of the food when you travel is pretty um, suspect, isn't it? The, on the first night I came in in Italy and uh, I was thinking, oh, I'm really excited for some Italian food, actually. And Meg Jones said, oh, hell, there's meatballs. They're really nice, really nice. Went down, didn't even look at what I was getting, got the meatballs, put it in my mouth didn't even have to bite it I literally pushed my tongue to the top of my mouth and it just disintegrated and I was like everyone she was looking at me with the girls at the back and I was just looking around because it stitched me up because it was it was mystery meat we had no idea what we were eating yeah you gotta be careful on the continent and if you're like any other northerner I ever played with you have the palate of a four-year-old and all they have is Sunday roast for every meal <laughs> like meat and potatoes and lots of gravy yeah lots of um, gravy yeah France and Italy, it can either be really, really good, like fresh produce, or it can be really, really bad. Because um, I don't know if you guys do it, but we'd hand or our trainers or nutritionists would hand over the menu to the hotel and they would try and whip up what was expected. on the, And things like baked beans, as simple as baked beans, we ended up traveling with Heinz baked beans because they would get baked beans wrong. They'd come out with, what are the white beans? Are they butter beans? They'd come out with them with like tin chopped tomato sauce. And you can imagine some boys are so set in what they eat pre-match and that it really messes with some of the guys' preparation. Yeah, I can't remember where it was. It was only a few a few months ago or something. We went somewhere and obviously we'd said beans and they thought it was peas. And in the morning there were peas and we were all like, I don't understand. And it's because they misunderstood beans for peas for breakfast. <laughs> As if that's peas it. Peas on toast. Yeah. That was France in autumns, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Did mids, going back to rugby, we've kind of gone off way over there somewhere about food I, I could talk about food for the whole pot if you want but we need, we're here to talk about rugby after having a bit of time to reflect on your game against Italy uh, emotionally how are you feeling how's you when I go first <laughs> I think <laughs> don't want to start speaking over that song <laughs> that's not that's that's Ellie's get out oh how do you you start us off yeah please be my guest <laughs> um so I think it, it's exciting because we've built so much on the Scotland game. We started really well and then dwindled off and then finished well. And then Italy really came at us. So we've got a lot of learning. Like today, mids, lovers, and I think Scott in the backs was saying that we've basically had the positive of second chances. So we got a second chance like on line outs to nail it and score off a driving mall and things like that, whereas we're not going to get that against France. So uh, we basically just need to sort out our set piece and our first phase stuff. So it's good because we've got a lot to learn. We won well, but we've still got loads to learn before France. Ellie, what about you in terms of good start against Scotland, slow start against Italy? Would you like to be playing this weekend? Would you like that kind of continuity in a tournament? Or is it a bit harder or more challenge to have a couple of weeks break before your next big game? 
it, I think either way, I don't think it's going to impact it too much. We've had the, the Friday PPP to try right some wrongs and act like it's a game almost with the same intensity. And similar to what Harriet said, we know that we've come away from the game. Personally, there's a lot of things to work on. It is frustrating because even the, the scoreline doesn't always reflect how we feel we've been training. And as, as a squad, we know that there's so much more left in the tank. And I think, obviously, when you when you see on social medias, you see the score, you see a lot of people congratulating. But, you know, that bittersweet thing when you're like, yeah, it looked good, but it could look so much better. Yeah, we scored a lot. But if you actually know rugby and you, you broke it down, and then you watch how we've been training. It, sometimes it's frustrating for us, and I found it personally. We've definitely got a lot to prove in the in the next couple of games. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, the scoreline kind of hides a lot of lost opportunity, I suppose. It's good that you th- you, you think like that, though. Um, you're always trying to push and grow because if you're just happy with that, uh, you wouldn't improve as a team, you know. Yeah, well, if you put the first half of Scotland and the second half of Italy. You might have not a perfect game, but you're a lot closer to to what we've been playing in the past couple of games. So it's just trying to find a way of having it from minute one. Uh, I don't even know how many minutes we play because it's different in in Prem, not eighty. Um, <laughs> they're going to clip that. They're going to clip that. On. I don't even know how many minutes we play. No, it's confusing. I mean, you could have pushed in scrums at one point, or yeah, I don't know. We yeah. in, in Prem, it's different. All the rules are different. So you've kind of got to get used to the switch of playing different rules for either Prem or, or England. It's only because of COVID. Just, uh, yeah, um, not because yeah, of COVID. <laughs> um, you guys obviously um, play play club together at Wasps. Ellie, can you tell me why Harriet's Twitter bio says, here to make the world a more awkward place? How well do you know her? Um, I do know Harriet very well. We had a little bit of a conversation before before coming on this and she kind of said, can you take lead and I'll, and I'll chip in. I'm much more of a social person than, or extroverted person than Harriet. She's quite introverted, but it works. It's, uh, there's a lot of introverted people in, in every club. So, And then you've got the extroverts that are very loud as well. So that's probably what what that means. Jeez, I was hoping you were some sort of comedian, Harriet. <laughs> no, no, I'm just awkward. As I'll be the person that says something or like be like, oh, oh, that was a secret. Or just, I don't know, like, I'm just awkward as hell. If you put me in a situation that's like right now, I just feel so uncomfortable. I'm like, ah, God. Okay, do you want me to change the question? Do you want me to move on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll... yeah, making it awkward now. You see? <laughs> Right, we're going to move on. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your journeys and, and your backgrounds. Um, Ellie, you played rugby league um, like any good northerner. Um, there's obviously some good pedigree that comes from up north and Faz and Forty, for instance. Tell me about your, your kind of journey. So it kind of happened whilst I was playing league. So I'd started um, when I was six, I think. I was playing out with my neighbours and I only got two sets of neighbours. They were just leaving to go rugby training and I just tagged along, ended up going down and that was league. Um, and then literally the, the Sunday, so this is on the Saturday, I went to league training. One of the boys then said, oh, I'm going to other training on Sunday. I had no idea what it was about. Went on the Sunday and it was a union and it was actually a game. It wasn't a training session. And I still was passing the ball forward. I didn't know anything to do with rugby. Um, so then for the next, well, four, four or five years at least, I was playing both codes for Saturday being league, Sunday being union, and kind of then ended up taking off a little bit with with union um, rather than league. I think the pathway was a lot more clearer in the union side than the league. Uh, so just ended up going through there and I stopped playing league at um, 13. Once girls can play with boys, I, I kind of stopped. Uh, kind of got bored of only getting the ball on the, six, on the fifth tackle. And that would be a kick, so it'd be it'd be a chance if I got it anyway. Yeah, I was I was going to say same same but different. It's, it's there's so many um, things that are alike, but there's a different set of rules effectively. But did you prefer one? Was there one that um, offered you more space, more time on the ball, more freedom? And is it credit to the RFU that there was a pathway for for a young girl to to see where she was going with her rugby? Um, I think at that age, I didn't have a preference. It was just picking up the ball and, and running. My mum's recently brought out a few videos or home videos of us playing. I haven't ever been able to remember what it was like and watching it back was quite cool. And I obviously just like picking up the ball and scoring and taking on a few boys. Uh, so I wouldn't be able to say I've got a preference. Um, in terms of the pathway, 
Um, it was a little bit difficult, especially up north, because I had to train somewhere that was about an hour and a half away. And I actually stopped playing rugby for about a year because I didn't know of any clubs. They were so far apart that I didn't know if there was any sort of pathway or anything. And I ended up going, my mum found some county trials for Yorkshire and I just turned up and I hadn't been playing for a club. They said, oh, what's your club? And I made up a name. I just said I was playing for a certain club. I'd, I'd made it up. I wouldn't be able to say I mean, you didn't make up a name. It was a club, though. It yeah? was a club. I knew it was a boys' club okay. in an area. Um, and they were like, oh, are you sure you're playing? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I've, I've been playing there. And I haven't played for a year at this point because I couldn't find anywhere. And then I did the did the um, the trial and got in. And then after they said, by the way, you're going to have to find a, an actual club. And I was like, oh, okay. And then from then on, I kind of went through the went through the system of under fifteens, under eighteens at county and divisional. I didn't do under twenties. I missed the under twenties gap because I, I came to uh, the senior setup when I was seventeen, eighteen. So I kind of did that jump um, from under eighteens to seniors. Wow, you're really good, aren't you? You're just really good. <laughs> I mean, I'd turn, I didn't really know what a meeting was. We were used to being told where to go and having to wait outside of a, of a building to, tell, to be told where to go next. On the first camp, I was in my room and I was thinking, where is everyone? <laughs> Why is no one like just waiting outside the rooms or anything? It's because everyone was in a meeting with a notepad, which I didn't know to bring notepads either. So <laughs> a lot of learning. But yeah, it was, it was a big jump going from under 18 and being cradled to seniors where it's people's jobs that's really interesting that you picked up on the notepad thing i'm old school like i don't see myself as old school but i've got a notebook and i write things down and by the end of my career you're in a meeting and you can hear what a typewriter no it's a ipad that was uh (laughs) is that humor from you is it (laughs) might be okay might be all right but um harriet what about you how did that all start for you i think my brother's friend was like, come and play rugby uh, when he was like eight years old. And then I went for about three weeks and my mum used to make my, me go with my dad to get me out of the house so she could clean or do whatever she would and whatever she wants to do on a Sunday morning. Um, and then ap- apparently I just was constantly playing with the ball and making my dad run around with me. And then my mum was like, well, why don't you just get her to join in as well? So I joined in for one session with my brother's year and then I'm a year a year older than my brother. So then they just said, oh, she can just go in her own age. So then, yeah. And then played uh, boys rugby till I was 12 or under 12s. And then I was similar to Ellie, uh, but there was somebody who'd played at Manchester like four years before that knew of a women's ta- team. But then when I, God, this is old now, it used to be under 18s and then there was nothing else. So as a 12-year-old, I was playing with 18-year-olds. So they put me at scrum half. So I was like, okay. So yeah, I played at scrum half and full back and then 13. So I just, but I, every year I had to move clubs because there was no women's rugby in the Northwest. Um, so I was like, what year was it? It was like somewhere in Manchester, then Chester, Sandbach, and then it ended up at West Park Leeds. My dad used to drive me miles, but I, I'm the same as Ellie. You get in the setup, at, I was in the setup from 14 years old and then just did everything from under 14s and then under 20s all the way through. I find it crazy how like like women's rugby is almost like a speakeasy. Like you got to you know to find a team's hard work. And I think if you guys obviously keep doing what you're doing, we're going to get more numbers um, and clubs popping up everywhere, which is going to make it easier for more young girls to to get in the mix. I, I remember Amy Kakane actually telling me the same story when she was like 12, 13 in New Zealand. Her only option was to play like women's rugby. So at that age, I, I think she was playing front row at the time, but like that's cutting your teeth like that's in at the deep end like not not dipping your toe and you're, you're literally diving in aren't you um i think we should clarify that that's not the way it is now boys and girls obviously play mixed until they're around 11 and then girls play under 13 under 15 and under 18 age groups hi i'm emily scarrett and you're listening to the england rugby podcast with o2 inside line Does your dad need to take some credit? Um, and your mum, obviously, but it sounds like your mum was at home gardening um, no, while you guys were up playing rugby. But your, your brother's obviously playing professionally and your sister yeah. Bridget played, so she played for Scotland. Yeah. Your dad must be one heck of a coach or you must have had some great coaches. Oh, no, my dad's, my my mum was the main instigator being like, oh, I, just because she's a girl, she should be able to play rugby. 
so my mum and dad very much on a weekend were split between driving my brother to games. I tended to have my mum. I got my mum a lot as the taxi driver. And my sister, obviously, we were in the same team. We had really, at Manchester Rugby Club, um, the coaches, like, shout out to any of them. They were awesome. And I never had, I hear stories about girls playing with boys and getting loads of sexist stuff. I never had that. And I never experienced that until I went to sixth form, like the, where boys would treat you differently because you're a girl. And I can't believe that. I, I just had never experienced it where like a boy wouldn't pass to you or because I was a girl or anything like that. It was just always I was a teammate. That was the feeling I got anyway. Ben Spencer played with my uh, brother as well with like the younger team and like even all of his team were just really like I don't know supportive it wasn't that I was a girl I was a rugby player so yeah I think that the foundation from Manchester Rugby Club is what made me like love rugby so talk to me about your sister right you and her I've seen your advert you big time I mean you're you're on a tv advert so you got you playing for England her playing for Scotland how did that come about what how did her pathway change at some point and I'd love to know who the family supported that day because I was obviously born in New Zealand. Whenever I played the All Blacks, all my family still live in New Zealand. They'd say, we hope you have a good game. And I'd be like, go on. And we hope the All Blacks win. So even my own family were up against, I was up against it. They didn't want me to win. So in your family, how was that split? So um, my sister played at uh, Club Waterloo uh, up in uh, the North. It was like, I think it was like her friend was like, I'm going to go to Scotland trials. Do you want to come? So she was like, yeah, sure. My, all my mum's family is Scottish. So she went along and got picked and then played for, I think, three seasons. And then on the day, they just were like supporting rugby. But realistically, they were supporting Scotland. And my mum's ringtone is far off Scotland. So for all family members. So I feel like that says everything. And bragging rights that day? Oh, yeah. Was- let's, let's take it right back to your first caps. Ali, you're in 2018. Harriet, yours in 2011. Ali, what are your your memories from your early days as a Red Rose while it's fresh in the mind? Fresh in the mind, yeah. It wasn't I, so long ago, was it? No, it wasn't. I'm, I'm 21 now, so it was only a couple of years ago, really. I remember a few things. Firstly, on my first cap, when I went over to my parents... Oh, no, when I went over to the stands, because I saw them going around, a couple of girls handed me the phone. And I took a picture of them and gave it back to them. And they were like, no, can we have a selfie? And I was like, oh, oh, we do that. Okay, so that was one of them. And the same same time someone asked for a signature and I hadn't actually got a signature at that point. So I made it up on the spot and then tried to remember it for all the rest of the people that we went down to. And when I finally got to my parents, gave them a hug, obviously was congratulated and then was handed my homework for the, um, for the next week because I was still doing A-levels. Um, so they'd been sent my homework for my biology teacher and they just gave it and then I had to run across the pitch with books in my hand uh, I remember because there was quite a few of us coming in like Jess Breach, Zoe Harrison's another one and how we, we've we played, they're a bit older than I am but we all knew each other from playing against each other or they were under 18s when I was in the 15s so it was quite nice to kind of share it with, with them girls and we've all been like the younger group to, to go through this so that was pretty cool as well and it one other thing is playing against um, France in France. So one of the girls said to me, well, what's the biggest crowd you've ever played in front of Ellie? And I said, oh, well, last weekend when we played against Wales. And they were like, oh, OK. And we went to we went to France and I had uh, some headphones on, the noise cancelling ones. I came out and I was already looking around and I was like, in awe because all I could hear was the 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 crowd but then when I took my headphones off you know in movies when it's like really loud and then you put it back on it was almost like that and I we were doing hand signals to try to tell each other the moves and obviously you guys the, the men playing in front of huge crowds I don't know how you do it if we were, I think there was 24,000 and it was incredible but I don't know how you know football was when it's sold out Wembley how the heck they they hear each other? I don't know how you get around anything, but yeah, that's a few things that I, that definitely stick out. There's, there's so many things I want to want to talk about there, but um, like one, the signature thing, man, there's an expectation if you're a professional sports person, like you need like a, a good signature. I, I just basically found one that I could do really quickly, but um, yeah, uh, <laughs> there's the biology lesson, there's the books. I would have just thrown those straight in the bin and gone, Mum, Dad, I've cracked it now. Leave me alone. What What I do want to know is 
from a young age, you've obviously you played the game, but when you got to your first cap, did you feel like you'd arrived or did you think, geez, this is another step, this is another gear, like I've got to get better? Um, yeah, definitely. I remember because through under-18s, I could dummy and go and go through. I'd be one of the tallest girls on the pitch, so could kind of get away with it. Not that I hadn't gymmed, but I was young. So to my training age, I was very young and I was very slight. And I could kind of just dummy, go through, run, and I tried it once. And I have never been hit so hard. So for me, I, I was like, I, okay, I need to maybe gym a bit more. And there was definitely, definitely a step up. Everyone everyone knew what was going on, not just myself and maybe one other person, which it's normally normally has been in the past. Everyone knew what was going on. You've got to be mentally switched on as well as physically as well. So, yeah, I did, I did feel ready and I felt like it's the best thing because it kind of almost dropped me in the deep end and allowed me to to get better and have to try to get better as quick as possible. And I was supported by a lot of the girls at the time anyway to make that. And I made mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes in my first few games. I got yellow carded, said to the refs, I didn't go off and everyone was looking at me. And I said, well, what now? And he said, get off, get off the pitch. Because you don't really get yellow carded in club rugby at under 18s. So when I got, yeah, yellow card, I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, yeah, what should I do? And he said, get off the pitch. And so I hadn't played fullback before playing for England. And when I got the call, the call, they said, oh, we know you play fullback. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> sounds good. And they said, oh, we want you to come play. So I was like, oh, brilliant. When I first touched the ball, my first touch, all I thought was, what do fullbacks do? So I booted it and I tried to boot it as hard as I could. And it went straight out into touch. And I'd never boot it. I always run. I'm a runner. And I'm just booting and stretching. When you watch the clips back, that someone, one of the commentators is singing my praise, a young player, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully in the steps of Emily Scarrett. And Emily Scarrett's on the um, commentating as well. And she goes, oh, not sure if I'd do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a lot a lot of lessons. And I'm, I'm, still, I'm still making errors and learning from them because I've still got a lot of years ahead but learn, learn as I go, and it's maybe the, the tough way, but it's also good that we can come into camp each week. Now, I'll, I'll tell you now that experience is the best teacher. You need to make mistakes to, to learn from them. You can talk about scenarios all you like, and you can talk, you know, train, but you need to do them in games. And I'm um, just picking up on your yellow card thing. I think I got my first yellow card when I was 10 years old. So uh, I beat you to that one. You said you'd never seen a yellow before that. I just normally stood out on the wing. That's all. I didn't get involved. There was always fights in, in boys rugby and I'd stand out on the wing looking at all of them thinking, well, I'm not getting involved with that. <laughs> what about like the you know senior players' experience? You, you talk about like making mistakes, learning on the hoof. How important was someone like Nolly, Danielle Waterman, in those for you in those early years? Uh, yeah, massively. I, I was coming into a position I, I had little experience in and... She was really good at any question I had, even just coming up to me and talking to me about on-field stuff and off-field stuff um, was really, really helpful. There was a lot of positioning things I had to get right, the whole pendulum, like all the, the the actual stuff that you need to know, the detail. I had to learn really quickly. Can I just say for our listeners that don't know what the pendulum is, I'm going to put my, my rugby credentials on the line here and say, I think it's the back threes kind of cover defence system, right? It is, yeah. Making yes, it sure sweeps like a pendulum. You kind of um, just help me help me out with all that. Harriet, what about you? Just I'm going to come back to your early memories in a second, but the importance of being, do you, you must see yourself as a senior player, but do you feel an importance to share your experience and your knowledge with, with younger players? I think if they ask for it, then I would. I wouldn't just start, like, I'm definitely one of the older ones now. Like my chats with Ellie aren't aren't doing like TikTok videos. My chat is like, how are you feeling? No, it's not like the fun chat or like in Scotland, um, they all like did a little performance for us. And it was like the old girls that were just sat back with a cup of tea watching, pretending we were going to get involved. I know, I was involved. We said, So we were all sat around and we said, oh, let's do some karaoke. And then I, I sat there and I was like, so it would be a really good idea. Why don't we just perform to each other? So we did like young, youngies and oldies. And we spent ages choreographing a full dance. We're singing a song that was going into a different song, like a mashup. Came back in thinking that they were doing the same. And they just watched us and like, oh, well done. And we were like, oh, did you not do it either? <laughs> the oldies, eh? The oldies. But like in, in terms of your 
training presence, your training ethic, how you operate on and off the field, knowing to relax and have three puddings a day, let your hair down like that. But also when you cross the white line or go into the turf or the gym at Penny Hill or go onto the field, you know, the responsibility of a senior player to set the example. Do you consciously think about that or do you just go and do? I just go and do, but I think I'm a lot more chilled out now than when I first started and that probably comes through so if I have a bad training session I used to spend hours thinking about it and going over footage being like oh my god I can't believe I made that pass things like that whereas now I just bin it and then still watch the footage back but um just the process of it isn't it doesn't sit on you as heavily in terms of making a mistake and things like that here I can be a lot more chilled out and I just step up when I have to whereas at club I think yeah it's a diff totally different environment whereas here I know my stuff and then if they need someone to speak I can whereas there's other people there's like uh, Zoe Sunter that will just they know like the I don't know the tactical and things like that and if it came to it, I'd be able to know it but I don't feel like I need to impose myself until it's shared out a lot isn't it yeah that that's the duty of an international player right mm-hmm. so when, when you're yeah. on international duty there's there's 23 30 of you you all know the standard you you're the best of the best but when you go back to club you're then a role model, almost a beacon. You, you've got to you've got to take on extra workload. You've got to set the example and, and show people how it's done. Right. I, I want to know about your early memories from 2011 when you first got capped because it must be completely different. We're, we're 10 years on now. Go, throw your mind back. Um, so for a start, I remember getting the call up and it was a really awkward call up because I'd been to, I'd, been, I'd, I'd basically rolled my ankle the weekend before on a night out. I basically tripped over an invisible skipping rope. and But it was funny at the time. And I remember crawling off the dance floor being like, I think there's something wrong. And my ankle was huge. Like, do you know when you see like people with ankle problems where they're, they're fat on their ankles, is like turned over their shoe. It was like, it was huge. My ankle just ballooned. So that was the weekend. And then I got the call on the Tuesday from Graham Smith being like, hey, uh, I'd like you to come. And I was like, hey, so uh, I've got an issue. And he was like, I know, you'll be fit for the game. I was like, okay, yep, I will be. So I, we went to France, and this is how old it was. They watered the pitch. So there's this photo of somebody pulling um, Sarah Hunter out of a puddle, and she was literally fit headfirst in a puddle that was like her whole head would have fitted in it. That was in like a warm-up game, the Wednesday before the game on the Saturday. They watered the entire pitch and Jamman, our team manager, who is an absolute hero, basically was like, our girls aren't playing on this pitch, so find us another pitch. And she, I think she was bluffing, but I feel like she was set to walk away from the game. So we ended up playing in a cage, you know, like, um, like a basketball cage, but obviously around a rugby pitch. So yeah, like no a football, stadium. I think they're like football stadiums, aren't they? Because yeah. football fans are passionate. Yeah. We're going to have a cage to keep them off the field. Yeah, essentially, but it was a rugby pitch. So yeah, I was on the bench. So we we, we played the game. I came on with about 20 minutes to go and I came on and Tam, I came on at a line out and Tamara Taylor just turned to me and apologised and said, the ball's coming to you. I'm sorry. I was like, okay. And then I caught it. That was the important part. Caught the that line That was out. it. So Graham um, Smith was happy. Graham Smith was my first coach uh, at England under 18s nice. and Worcester Academy. And uh, I remember turning up to scrum training one day and he got the front row in a semicircle and he went round and he kicked us all in the shins. <laughs> and he said, you should all be wearing shin pads. Like that's how old school he was. And I was like, no one kicks anymore, anyone anymore, Smithy. But um, very a great man. Very, yeah. very nice man. And he um, turned to me at the end, at the end of the game and said, you'll make an England player one day. And I cried because I thought it was a negative. I thought he was insulting me. And then like after one of the other girls was like, Has that was a compliment. I was like, oh, okay. I thought he was being like, you were awful. This is Jamie George and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. I can't talk to you without touching on injury, which disrupted um, your journey after Belfast and your amazing comeback to international rugby. How long were you out? Yeah, just under two years. But you went on to have three knee surgeries, right? Yeah, it kind of was like an unravelling of bad events. We rushed through choosing a surgeon and everything like that. So then um, the ACL graft went again. in the. So that was in the December. I got my op two months later, end of December, just before Christmas. 
and then I was back and up until June. So I was back running, back training, just like individual skills, things like that. So I was getting back quite quick. And then I went, I was running and picked up a loose ball. And as I went down for the loose ball, I just felt my knee like it was weird. I felt the like the MCL go, then the LCL go, and then like the final pop. And I was like, yeah, I've done it again. How did you stay positive? And like what, what motivated you during that time? Because it's a bloody long time. Um, so how I stayed positive was when I did it, Rick, the physio, England physio at the time, was like, I think you should go on holiday before your next stop. So I planned a road trip down the uh, west coast of America and I went away for three weeks. I went to Vegas, went to yeah, Yosemite, went to um, LA, went to San Fran. What was your favourite place? Oh, hard. Yosemite and Bass Lake were stunning, but Vegas, like, that was just insane. So you're saying basically some time away because it's all consuming when you're when you're rehab and injury yeah. like you're in the same gym every day change your scenery bit of D on the face yeah. you're saying getting away was was good for you yeah definitely and he just literally like um, Rick just sat me down and was like it's going to be a long eighteen months you need to go sort your stuff out so came back and then Giselle made that Ellie you'll understand this conversation um if you have if anybody ever knows Giselle she's most incredible woman incredible coach but the day after my operation my second op I was drugged up to the max and she rang me and was like uh hey has so we don't have a coach a forwards coach for the development side uh I think you'd be really good at it um, and I was like so drugged up. I was like, oh, can I think about it? She was like, yeah, well, you know, it can just be a few weekends. You don't need to come to coach training or anything. Uh, just help out, um, help out the club. And then every time you come down, you can have physio as well. I was booked in with a full staff kit first weekend of the season. And then was every week was like the coach. That, that definitely kept me in rugby. When my knee went, I rang my dad and was like, I'm not doing this. In my dad just was like, oh, well, just, you know, carry on until you get back fit and then see, don't don't quit now. And then, yeah. You sit here now. Are you happy with what you've been through? Like the, the, the resilience that you've learned and the kind of mental fortitude that you've probably gained from, from your injury? Yeah, I'm, I used to think I didn't know what I was doing. I was just playing what I saw. Whereas actually coaching made me realise I actually know. I know a lot more than um, I thought I knew. I just didn't voice it. So I think that helped me with like just confidence of just knowing that I know what was going on. And yeah, like I probably would have like, it's it's a long career, isn't it? Well, if I'd been playing the entire time, would I still love the game? You don't know. So I just take it that I basically had two years out and then came back. Nice. Um, Ellie, I'm kind of conscious you've been sat down there. I saw your eyes rolling at one point. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm looking at my water. I keep thinking, can I have some water? Or of course you can. Have a drink if you because I'm about to talk to you. After reading about you, Ellie, you've had a few knocks. One of the things you did struggle with, right, is injury when you first went over to sevens. And you alluded to it earlier saying physically you weren't as developed um, and you probably weren't ready. Uh, You talked about like gymming, conditioning, that sort of stuff. Can you talk us through yours? Yeah, if I'm honest, still still going a little bit. Whenever I've gone to physio, that's that's always been the bottom line. Your body needs to be stronger than you in the development phase of being an athlete. You, you know, you're more robust so that your body can kind of handle the stress of playing. And like I said, being physically ready to not just be hit by by strong women, and but also to keep up to the training load. Like I've played with people just like you, and this is credit to you, you're an athlete. Finely, finely tuned athletes. Like, I never got, like, stress injuries. I never pulled a muscle because I wasn't quick enough and I hardly had any muscles. What what happens when you're fast and quick and agile and, and powerful? You're, you're highly, you know, finely tuned. You've got to be careful. But um, do you understand, like, at 21 years old, that, like, rugby, you know, any sport that you play, there's going to be injury and setback, right? Yeah, I think the, them experiences have allowed me to understand that. I hadn't understood that before. And the first time that I was out with machines for a set period of time, I found it really difficult to get my head around because I, it got to the point where I'd have live GPS on. And GPS is obviously, as you know, you it's tracking your metres. And I was always on a max amount of metres. Um, so I'd go into training and I'd be like, OK, I feel fine. And I'm, I'm past my injury. But they say, OK, well, you've only got... X amount of metres today, so we'll pull you out when you're ready. And I remember one time I hadn't touched the ball that much or not in the way that I wanted to. And I was finally ready. And I was like, yes, I'm in the perfect position. And they were like, Ellie, out. And I was like, just one more, just one more. And 
no, out, come on now. And they'd have a, a like a little deck chair because I used to stand next to the, the pitch doing kick. Never up. sit down at training. Like no. you get so much chip. Yeah, well, that's things I used to stand on the side of the pitch doing keepy uppies. And like, that's not you might as well be playing rugby if you're gonna be doing keepy uppies, sit down on the chair. So I'd have to sit like a like a little kid. That's how, that kind of thing also taught me to work. Um I was I've been gifted with playing and uh, in under 18s and then representing my country without being under 20s and I wouldn't say I've had it easy by any stretch but my pathway has been quite clear um without any bumps without any you haven't you haven't been selected for this or whatever and that injury really let me like actually realize that there's a lot of work that needs to be done and mentally there's a lot of strength needed to get through the, the injuries because they do happen you start learning to shake something off, knowing the difference between what hurts and what's an injury and getting through it almost. That's, it, it taught me a lot of things. Um, I wouldn't for one second wish that it didn't happen for me because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be at 21 years old being able to understand all of this. If I hadn't got this now, then I'd be even frustrated, more frustrated down the line when I'm getting injured and I don't know what to do about it. Hi, I'm Tom Curry, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Ladies, how how hard has it been to deal with all the postponements and restructuring over the last 12 months? Uh, Harriet, especially for you, you've had to deal with it with the schoolwork as well. Schoolwork? You're not a student, you're a teacher. But in terms of, has it been difficult? Luckily, my school is super, super supportive. So I just went in and said, can I keep working, please? And they're like, yeah, sure. So they're really, really good as long as I don't mess them around. So I only, I'm part-time, but COVID's actually helped. It's proven that you can teach from home. So tomorrow, because we're still in isolation, tomorrow I'm going to teach uh, virtually. So uh, one of the TAs will just put me up on the screen and then I'll teach that way. So it's quite good that, and then I work, I speak to mids a lot and basically just work it around. I get the schedule and then I work my lessons around that. He like, will just like say, to go to the gym I'll just go I'll just do the gym session an hour later than everyone else so that I can teach it's not been I think it's better for the game to be postponed um in terms of other countries we've been really lucky that our league's gone ahead this year so we've been playing rugby all year there's some countries that haven't played rugby all year that's not great for like just imagine if you're like a spectator watching that and the rugby's not as good as it could be um it's not going to improve the game the overall participation that will be good for will be in a positive place because we've played rugby all year, but the other teams won't have them. Realistically, we want to win because we're the best, not because we've had an advantage of playing rugby. Yeah, and and Ali, for for you, do you think as a as an athlete, you're kind of set up to be adaptable? Obviously, the the shifting of the Six Nations and the restructuring of it, New Zealand being delayed by a year. As as an athlete, are you ready for that? Is it easy to accept that? For me personally, I, I did find it quite hard. I made a really difficult switch from sevens to fifteens because sevens um, wasn't a thing at the time. And the Olympics was cancelled, so so for me that was the first. Oh, now what? And I was able to refocus onto the fifteens and New Zealand. So that was in my head. It's okay. I all I want to be is the best athlete I can be, and. It doesn't matter which competition, as long as I'm getting better, I've got plenty ahead of me. So then refocused on to New Zealand. It hit me a few days later because it was kind of, it would mean that I've been training since I was 18 full time for a competition that just keeps getting moved a year on. So I did find it difficult in that respect, um, but it has made me super adaptable. And that the fact that we have Six Nations definitely helps as well. Um, and we have full-time training and we're still able to play for Wasps each weekend. And the Prem is so competitive at the moment that it's never really a walkover. You don't know anymore who's going to win. Um, so there's still that competitive aspect and being able to flip it on its head when, I've, when we, we have all this time in the hotel rooms on our own to actually see it as a... a a chance to develop and like Harriet was saying the other teams are going to be needing to train so that the competition's good but we have got so much potential time is not going to be like bad for us we're just going to get better and better we'll get a few more games in in the bag next year with another six nations and we'll be in a better place come next year to to have a good shot at New Zealand. I love that because I knew 
I kind of knew the answer with, without asking it. But I was going to say, is, is time your friend here? Like, you guys are good to go if you were playing in the, if the tournament was tomorrow or next week. You guys would be good to go. But I love the sort of attitude you've got basically a year to grow as a team. AP15s is obviously the standards only getting better. So it's driving competition for places. So, geez, are you a bit nervous in a year's time? You know, there might be a new kid on the block pushing you guys out. Like you got to be, you have to stay at the top of your game. You know what I mean? Maybe, but it, that can only make us better. It's good. Competition is good and pressure is such a privilege because not a lot of people have got it. Jeez, you're good. You're <laughs> She's good. Yeah. smashed it, didn't she? That uh, that's not even, I don't even think that's media. I don't think that's media training. I just think you're a, a competitive beast. Yeah. <laughs> I think but you've uh, got to be competitive. All the sevens girls coming back into the league as well just increased. Well, that's an influx of at least 15 players that are starting players, international players across the board. And that just, and you notice the difference now, even in camp that they've all gone out to GB and like just we've all improved. Like I can't, I don't know anyone who's not got so much better just in the last nine months from the influx of players. So even next year, get even better but even when it's competitive in camp you've, you've always got to no one knows who's a starter anymore you've always got to be pushing to it's, it's, it's obviously healthy competition but no one wants an easy ride because it will get boring and you won't get to 30 still playing and still enjoying it <laughs> you won't what get to 30 harry it's going to get to 30 <laughs> Yeah, do, do you know what? And I think you guys said, was it eight changes between your two games last played? So, and, and talking to Mids, and we mentioned this, we've mentioned it throughout this pod um, with the Red Roses, like he's got genuine selection issues now. Like it's the perfect problem as a, as a coach, I suppose. He's saying that the domestic competition is so good, developing more players. You're talking about the Olympic programme. It's just, he's got a genuine, it, it's hard for him, you know? And I'm, I'm sure you guys probably feel that in camp when the, the team does change by you know, at least 50%. It's like, wow, I need to be on it today. Hi, I'm Hannah Bottomer and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. I asked uh, Ellie about Harriet at the start, about making things awkward. Uh, Harriet, I want to know about uh, Ellie's Instagram handle. Lukewarm is no good. Do, do you know anything about that? No, but my mind's gone places. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. What were you talking about? Luke no God. I know I'll that put you... a little bit of context to it for well, you. That there's more to the quote. Ali, could you give us the quote, please? Yeah, Do you know the quote? Yeah, off by, off by heart, I'm not too sure. It's, I'll actually read out because it's really nice. Okay. I began to realise how important it was to be an enthusiast in life. If you're interested in something, no matter what it is, go at it full speed. Embrace it with both arms. Hug it, love it, and above all, become passionate about it. Lukewarm is no good. Oh, love that. Cute. That's, nice. that's really cute. Harriet, lukewarm is no good. I feel like on the rugby pitch, that is Ellie all over. She's like 100% in. The gym, you have to like drag her. You're like, come on, Elle. Like, just pick up that five kilos and do a bicep <laughs> <laughs> But on the pitch, like training and everything, you're literally like, well, why, why am I going to do it if I'm not going to do it the best? Attitude, whereas... Yeah, on the like, you're hundred percent like with rugby. Is, is Ellie? Is that your motto for life? Because um, it sounds like you do need to apply it to the gym. Um, yeah, definitely. Cause it is motto. You won't get anything from lukewarm because you might be like this constant, and it might feel all right and a bit comfortable. But until you turn the pressure up, that's when you actually see a change. And nothing changes if nothing changes. So whether that be on the pitch and everything's all right, but. If we carry on the way we're doing, we're just going to do another phase, another phase, another phase, another phase. Someone's got to do something that's hot. And it might be a line break, it might be a massive hit, but that's when something will will change. And it's it's the same off the pitch. Whatever you're doing, I just believe that if, you, if you're going to do something, you're going to put the time into doing it, actually make sure it's good. Actually make sure that whatever you're going to do, you are going to have the outcome that you that you want. So, yeah, I kind of try to apply it. Yes, I know that in terms of the gym, it's a running joke. To be clear, it's a joke. It's a running joke that I don't enjoy the gym. I wouldn't say that I love going to the gym all the time. I like playing and I like scoring and I like playing rugby. The gym's obviously, that comes with it. But I'm, I'm not a rugby player to be in the gym. I'm a rugby player for playing on the pitch. And you, I've just got to think, it's going to make me stronger. It's going to make me faster. It's going to keep me from being injured. It's going to make me a better player and then just get my head down and, 
and go. But if I could, if I could play rugby all all day every day and 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 get the strength by just playing that rather than going to the gym, of course I'd say that, and I think quite a few other people would say that as well. But they won't actually say it on a podcast going on. (laughs) No, I'll openly admit I hate the gym. I just got I just got injured for two years and have to live in it. So I agree. Can, Can I can I give you guys some some sound philosophical advice? Start telling yourselves you like the gym because if it, the, the more you tell yourself you don't like something, you've put negative connotations, you're going to sigh and moan every time you're going to walk up those stairs at Penny Hill. Just flick the switch. Start telling yourself it, it's work. I'm going in. It's just like social media. You're just going into Instagram to do the job, do the post, get off. Don't spend two hours on there you know, we scrolling. Say, we used to say when we were playing with sevens and so when we went to Australia last year, it was 47 degrees Celsius. And it started the fires again when we were out there. Honestly, you'd walk outside and it'd hit you. And we made it a rule that you wasn't allowed to say, oh, I'm so hot. You weren't, that was a no-go. If anybody said, oh, I'm so hot, I mean, you'd get a mouthful. It's the same as when people say, I'm so tired. They're not tired. It's just a really easy thing to say. When there's a bit of silence, you go, oh, I'm so tired. But you're not tired. <laughs> you're just a bit awkward. And you feel like you just need to complain about something. <laughs> Um, it's one one thing I learned really early, at, especially as a, a senior player, especially as a captain. You're never tired. You're never cold. You're never hungry. Like because as soon as you say it, so many people look to you, and it's like, oh, I'm tired too. I'm cold, and it's a bit wet, and it just it can spread like wildfire. I just want to say, for 21 years old, you're like a a wise old owl. And you know what? When it's delivered in a, a northern accent, it just sounds so much better. When you're talking about like lukewarm, basically comfort is the enemy of progression and all that sort of stuff it's great to hear i've got something we're going to play called the greatest uh it's a quick fire quiz i'm going to ask you what your greatest so-and-so is and it's got to be quick fire harry are you comfortable with that i'm gonna be awkward as hell but yeah so ali you're first up where has been the greatest place you've played the game Sevens, we travelled to some really nice places. I really liked Vancouver. We had to fly over in a, a mini aeroplane and it, I at that point decided that's where I'm probably going to get married or retire and go to. Pitch wasn't as nice because it was a 4G pitch and we came away with scuffs and, and bruises and cuts and what have you. Uh, but place outside of rugby, fantastic. And playing-wise, France, because of the, the crowd that we were playing in front of, awesome. Wouldn't ever be able to explain what it was like to anybody unless they were on the pitch that's cool I, I i get that i get it but in terms of vancouver are we talking like water plane like forest landing on the lake rugby pitch in the mountains <laughs> or, like can you paint the picture quickly so we flew over in a big in a big plane from obviously england to canada and then it was either langford or vancouver i always get mixed up and then we got into a, almost like a water plane and we there was only the rugby team in there and we flew over and it was lakes and you'd look to your side and there'd be um, a mountain, but you were in line with it. And you'd look down and there was someone's house that opened up to the lake and we didn't quite land on the water, but we weren't too far away. And it was just amazing. And on our off, off day, we found some open water springs, went away from all the coaches and everyone and we took a barbecue and we just all jumping in the, in the water off the sides. And it was just really awesome. It was a really sweet spot. Sorry, that's supposed to be quick fire. It's my fault for asking. No, you're more. fine. I love uh, anyway. Harriet, what was the greatest way to wind down after a hard training session? Honest, honest is now it's of a training session. It would literally be my pajamas, slippers, and a cup of tea. But again, would be my pajamas, slippers, and gin. <laughs> I've just clicked. I don't think any of the men's team take pajamas to camp. Like, because I know how reliant my wife is on her dress, like her robe or a dressing gown and her pajamas. She's got like five different sets of pajamas. I just don't get it. It's comfort. It's comfort when you don't want to be in care all the time and you want to. I, I mean, I used to bring candles. That's yeah. next level. <laughs> Ellie, who out of the squad would be the greatest on I'm a Celeb? Oh, um, probably. <sighs> I'd say Hannah Bottoman, her and Poppy did some bits in the first lockdown or summer last year when they they were eating some funky stuff. So I think they're semi-prepared for that type of thing. And she's she's a tough, tough nut, so she'd be all right. Okay, boxers going in then. Harriet, it's your birthday tomorrow. Who is going to make your birthday cake or who would you want to make your birthday cake? I'd say Lark. And she's artistic, so she'd make it look good. Noted. 
does she ever deliver uh, for, for girls in camp? She made brownies today um, because it's been uh, Fleto's birthday and Zoe Harrison's and came up to me and apologised. And she was like, I thought I made them dairy free, but I didn't. So sorry, you've not got any. <laughs> I was like, oh. birthday. <laughs> she, bought me, she bought me a tub of Biscoff instead. Do you know the Biscoff spread? Yeah, I had a Biscoff. Oh my gosh, I had a Biscoff cookie the other day. That's oh. like an untapped resource. They need to be mining that. <laughs> Ellie, what is the greatest prank you've ever seen oh. or played? Off the top of my head, I remember um, in my first, when we went to France, obviously it's a big game a few years ago and I was a, an 18-year-old and I told the manager that I'd left my passport in the airport and she tried to stay really calm because it was I think it was just before the game or just after the game. And she was like, okay, don't worry about it. And I was, I was you know, when you're shaking, trying not to laugh because I could see all the girls looking at me. And they told me I had to do it because I, I was the youngest. Um, basically, you had a lion. If you're the youngest in the team, you've got a little mascot. And um, if the lion gets stolen off you, you've got to do a forfeit. And that was my forfeit. And I mean, I got a bit of a, a slap on the arm after, but yeah, it was it was funny to see her face drop, but also think, oh, bless you. Okay, we're going to, don't worry about it. And you could see her brain being like, oh God, what we're going to do? Oi, you don't, you never mess with team managers, no, they're fragile people. Never again. <laughs> no. Hey, Harriet, who is the greatest international player you've played against so far? Oh, played against. Oh, I don't know. I've got a better question for you. You're a maths teacher. What is square root of 225? 25. No, it's 15. 15. 225, 625. Ask another question. Ask another question. Is it 625? Is 25 squared 625? No, don't worry. I don't know. I've got the... I did this earlier. Um, What is one quarter of one quarter? Ellie. Uh, One eighth. No, one sixteenth. I would never clue. I did maths when I was 16. That's the last time I did maths. I don't care. You've got a a maths teacher there. You should be be studying. Um, Right. What is uh, hypotenuse? Is that how I say it? Yeah, that's how you say it. Ellie, are you answering? Um, No, Harriet, you are. Oh, okay. It's the line, like the biggest line on the triangle or the one that's opposite the 90 degree angle or the right angle. The technical answer is the longest side of a right angled triangle. I'm glad you answered that because I was going to say something way different to that. Okay. (laughs) You're lucky, Ellie. We're coming back to you. What is pi to three decimal places? 3.14392. Three, <laughs> I have no idea. You were so close. Go again. 3.145146. Teacher, does she pass? I don't think you pass. Why? No, you didn't. I don't know it. <laughs> is it 3.1427? No. 3.142 will do. Um, Last one to our maths teacher, Harriet. What is the formula to find the area of a circle? Pi r squared. Yes. Very good. Correct. You've still got a job. I know. You do learn that in your eight when you're like 13, 14 years old. (laughs) I'd be worried if I got that one wrong. I'm worried about the square. Not worried. I'm stressed. I answered it too. I was trying to be too confident. Should have thought. No, but it's quick fire. I'll put the heat on you, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Ellie, Harriet, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your insights and your honesty. Uh, Good luck for next week, finals time. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's it for the podcast this week. Thank you for joining us and make sure you get behind the woman on Saturday by watching the final live on BBC Two from two o'clock. You can show the woman and the pod even more love by leaving us a rating and a review and sharing the podcast with your mates. It really helps more England fans to find us. I'll be back with a final episode next week, so join me again on Tuesday for more chat with two of England's leading ladies. I'll catch you then. <laughs>